0: all right when I grew up I grew up a long ways away this is always we always called Louisiana home but we weren't here a lot Um, we moved off to New Mexico so I was living in the desert while y'all had all this humidity uh, but I've heard about Camp Pollock a lot even though I wasn't here and specifically about the role that my great-grandfather played in securing this land for the Church of God in Louisiana and uh, clearing it of snakes and ticks and trees (laughs) Uh, so, in my mind, whenever I hear Camp Pollock, I, I hear Merle Kennedy, and that's just the way it is. So when I came here for the first time, you can imagine my shock when there was no statue, no fountain <laughs> dedicated to Merle Kennedy, what is the deal? <laughs> but really, uh, I don't think he would have wanted a statue or a fountain. And uh, the memorial to his efforts and to those who worked with him Are the lives that are changed here from year to year And we give God thanks for that, amen i told to kick off this camp meeting on the theme of Breathe, speak, give life in Jesus' name Breathe, speak, give life in Jesus' name And I want to talk to you as we begin about what life are we talking about? Because we can talk about breathing and speaking and giving, but if we're not clear on what it is that we're breathing and what it is that we're speaking and what it is that we're giving, then we're just going to have confusion. Have you ever driven down the street like I have and and you see all these churches that line the streets of your community? and a lot of them are small churches, like a lot of our churches are small churches and and they're everywhere and you wonder what role does our little church have to play is it just me does anyone ever wonder ever drive down the street and think there's all these churches why does our church need to continue to exist I wonder that sometimes about the church of God as a movement there's all these church groups why do we need to exist are we offering something unique, something different, something that the world needs that they can't find at dozens of other churches in our communities? And I've wrestled with that for a while. You can't wrestle with it too much when you're a pastor and you earned your income from <laughs> preaching at a church, you just have to say, I'm glad we're here <laughs> sometimes. But I've become increasingly convinced in recent years, and and in this last year especially, that the church that I pastor has a unique opportunity to share a message that I don't believe is being shared by very many churches in our community. And I believe that the church of God in general is uniquely positioned to share the message of the gospel in a way that it's not being shared many places, and it's the way that, frankly, I believe the apostles shared it, And yet, somehow along the road, we've missed it. Oh, we still talk about it sometimes, and every now and then it works its way into a song. I was pleasantly surprised that we sang that song, I Am Redeemed, a few minutes ago, that spoke clearly what the gospel is about. Um, But oftentimes, our songs don't. And so I come to you today to talk about a pure gospel the kind of gospel that we find when we read the New Testament. I believe that a lot of our churches, especially in the South, have been influenced strongly by Southern Bible Belt evangelicalism, and there's lots of good things we can say about that. However, sometimes the message of the gospel gets watered down. Here's how... Just in a nutshell, one way of describing the gospel as it is commonly described in our culture, both inside the church and outside the church. It doesn't, it shouldn't sound that shocking to us. It's what we believe. We're all sinners on our way to hell. But if you'll believe in Jesus, his death on the cross means you can be forgiven and go to heaven when you die. Nothing really bad about that to argue with, is there? That That's more or less what the Southern Bible Belt message, evangelicalism has said, that we're all sinners on our way to hell, but if you'll believe in Jesus, maybe come to an altar, say a prayer, and put your faith in Christ, start a personal relationship with him, then you can be forgiven and go to heaven when you die. And this is the message that we've been preaching. It's what we've been selling, if you will. That you're headed to hell, but we can offer heaven instead. The problem that I have with that increasingly, and this just I don't know, there was no one moment when this happened, but you know, you read through the New Testament, and I've yet to find an apostle of Jesus preach that gospel. I've yet to read of Peter addressing the crowds at Pentecost and preaching the gospel that way. I've read through the whole New Testament. I've read all the apostles' examples of the gospel, and there's summaries of the gospel. And maybe I've missed something, but I've yet to find the gospel presented that way by any one of them. And so I'm calling you today to to proclaim the gospel in a new and fresh way, but really in the original way, is what I'm asking us to do. And I believe that if we change our message to reflect the message of the apostles, then we will in fact be offering something unique in our culture that the church, the larger church, needs to hear and that our communities desperately need. I want to invite you, if you've got a Bible, to come and turn with me to the book of Titus. I believe that This is just one example of many. I I did not pick Titus because uh, this particular passage is unique in scripture. I picked it because it's a book that we don't speak out of very often, or at least I don't. Any of y'all preach out of Titus this year? Preachers? Anyone? (laughs) Alright. It doesn't happen that often. And yet, when we read these words, I bet they'll sound familiar to you because... This is the message of the gospel from, the, from Acts, when they started preaching it, to Revelation. And the funny thing is, hell is not what the gospel says Jesus came to save us from. And heaven is not exactly what the gospel says Jesus came to save us for. What the gospel said Jesus came to save us from is sin. Yes. And what the gospel says Jesus came to save us for is a certain kind of life, a certain way of life that Jesus taught and modeled and makes available to us by his spirit. In our churches, we're selling a kind of fire insurance a lot of times. That's what we're selling. When we when we present the gospel as look, you're headed to hell. But if you'll put your faith in Christ, then uh,
1: what?
0: <laughs> I said hell, they put that, I don't know. <laughs> 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 so I was <what> saying. <laughs> when we present the gospel as hey, you're headed to hell but if you'll put your faith in Christ you can go to heaven and people come and they pray that prayer and they receive that and they start to come to church like we ask them to and then all of a sudden they start finding us asking all these other demands of them and it's like we pulled a fast one on them like, hang on you said if I put my faith in Jesus then I would go to heaven so I'm sitting here waiting to be reminded that I'm going to heaven and why are you telling me all this stuff that I've got to do? and what's the motivation for me to do it? After all, I'm going to heaven. So let's just try and rediscover together the message as it was proclaimed in the church, as it was launched. And here we have this letter of the Apostle Paul to a young man that he mentored in faith, Titus. And this is what he told Titus to preach over and over again this is what i believe we should still be preaching i'm going to start in chapter 2 at verse 11 for the grace of god has appeared bringing salvation for all people we hear that word salvation and our mind immediately goes to saved from hell saved for heaven But look what Paul's mind goes to. Bringing salvation for all people, instructing us to deny godlessness and worldly lusts and to live in a sensible, righteous, and godly way in the present age. Not someday, but now. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness. Did you catch that? Why did Jesus give himself for you? To redeem you from all lawlessness. Not just someday, but in the present day. Amen. That's why he gave, that. in Matthew, in the, when the, Jesus was just conceived, the angel said, you'll name him Jesus. For he will save his people from their sin. sin. Yes. yes. From their sin. And to cleanse for himself, it says, a people for his own possession, eager to do good works. Proclaim these things. Encourage and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. This is your message, Titus. But Jesus came... And He died and He rose again so that people could leave their lawless deeds behind and live in a new way so that they could be purified for Him. This was the gospel of Jesus Christ. It still is. The gospel is not about a spiritual transaction alone. Sometimes we talk about it that way. Like you come to faith in Christ and what happens is a spiritual transaction takes place in the heavens. Your name is moved from the book of destruction to the book of life, right? And no doubt that happens, but it's not just a spiritual transaction, but a life transformation that is supposed to take place in the life of a believer. Could you skip down with me to chapter 3 verse 4 where Paul picks up this theme again just to be clear Titus (laughs) but when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared he saved us not by works of righteousness that we had done but according to his mercy
1: Mm -hmm.
0: through the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit He poured out His Spirit on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior so that having been justified by His grace we may become heirs with the hope of eternal life. This saying is trustworthy. I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed God might be careful to devote themselves here it is again to good works. He saved us not by works of righteousness, but for works of righteousness. We forget that sometimes. All right. yes. mm-hmm. wow. The works of righteousness can't save you, but they're what you're saved for. <laughs> I mean. How does He do it? He saves us through the washing and regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit that He pours out on us abundantly so that we may become heirs with the hope of eternal life. Well, there's that, right? And we hear that, and our mind jumps to heaven, because that's how we've been programmed. (laughs) But eternal life is not a place. Eternal life is not exactly a destination. Eternal is just an adjective in front of life. It's a kind of life. It's a way of life. There is a way of life that leads to destruction. And there is a way of life that keeps on leading to life. And more life. And more life. Eternally. Salvation then. It's not just about this spiritual transaction. Not just about a destination. But about a kind of life that is offered to you. Thanks to the death and resurrection of Jesus and the Holy Spirit that He abundantly and generously pours out on us to change us from the inside out. Amen. Do you believe it? Yes. Amen. Teach this, Paul says. This is your message. If you want it any clearer, keep on saying this. Don't let people disregard you. They may want to take it in a different direction. No, bring it back to this. That's right. That's good. This is the message. This is why Jesus came, to transform your way of life from one that was headed to death into one that was headed for life. There's a stream of life that you can enter in that heads towards eternal life. It's God's life. It's characterized by Christ-like love that never dies. That love never dies. And when your life becomes headed down that trajectory, it does not end because that kind of life does not end. It is in God, of God, it is God, God is love. Okay, so here's what I would suggest to you. Learn to live like Jesus. Learn to live like Jesus. If we're not learning to live like Jesus, then we've got the wrong faith. We've got the wrong gospel. We've got the wrong book. Because what it says it's about is learning to live like Jesus. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Learning to do the things Jesus did. Learning to be the kind of person Jesus taught us to be. In the Great Commission, Jesus said, because everyone's going to hell, Go and make disciples. Baptize them. Pat them on the back. Send them on the way. Because, you no, know, all authority in heaven and on earth is given to me. I am the king. Therefore, Amen. go and make disciples and teach them to obey what I have commanded you. Yeah. yeah. This is what our Christian faith is about. This is what the motivation for our mission is about. About calling people out of sin into a new way of life. About learning to live like Jesus and leading others to do likewise. If we're not calling people to live like Jesus, then we're preaching a different gospel. Learn to live like Jesus. Everybody say it. There to live Jesus.
1: Amen.
0: It's worth remembering.
1: Amen.
0: Did we forget that every gospel account, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, begins with talking about John the Baptist, that weird guy <laughs> who stood up in the desert and called people to repentance? Did we forget that Jesus' central mission was, he said, calling sinners to repentance? Did we forget that the Great Commission's aim, like we just mentioned, is about teaching people to obey his commandments? Did we forget that when Peter preached the first gospel message um, at Pentecost, the people were convicted, they asked him, what should we do? He said, repent, be baptized to show you what you're saying. Right, Be baptized to show it and receive the Holy Spirit so that you can do it. That was it. It wasn't pray the sinner's prayer. It wasn't come to this altar or do it this way or just believe in your heart. It was repent, be baptized, receive the Holy Spirit so you can live it out. Mm -hmm. Learn to live like Jesus lead others to do likewise. What would happen if in our churches, if each of our preachers and each of our teachers consistently began to teach this message? Because if you go and ask someone in your church, or my church for that matter, I've been harping on this for a while at our church, and there's still a lot of folks who just default back to the message that's popular in Christian culture. And they default back to the same old language. But what if we all consistently kept teaching and preaching this? What if this is what we were selling? So that when people who weren't familiar with the gospel heard it, at least they'd hear it right the first time. And they would know what they were being sold up front and what they're getting into if they sign up. That's good. I thought about just ending the message there. But I don't like leaving out the practicalities. This message really is about holiness, right? Mm -hmm. And the church of God for generations has said we're about holiness. But I fear that sometimes holiness has been relegated to kind of a side dish that we serve along the main alongside the main entree, right? Mm -hmm. Instead of being central to the gospel like it is in the gospel so holiness is something we need to talk about how do we do it right? if we're going to call people to do this because this is one of the first thing that comes up in everyone's mind is it just doesn't seem realistic I mean we can preach what it says about coming out of sin and living in a new way of life but it just doesn't seem realistic and. And it feels almost hypocritical when you know that you don't have it quite all together and I'm supposed to preach this message. (laughs) Right? So it's worth talking about and maybe remembering how this works. How do we do it? Like if we call someone to this life and they say, yep, sign me up. Are we going to be able to teach them how to do it? Are we going to be able to tell them, okay, well, this is how it works. This is how you make progress, this is how you begin to walk down a new pathway, a new way of life so I'm going to give you three things if you like taking notes you know, every sermon's got out three things I'm going to give you three things very practical, I believe that are components of pursuing a holy life learning to live like Jesus really figuring it out and the first thing is the most important thing And it's also what protects us from falling into a trap that, frankly, a lot of Church of God folks have fallen into in the past, and that is legalism. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because when you start preaching a message of holiness, and you start holding up these standards, it's easy for you to fall into this trap of legalism. And then your faith resembles Judaism more than it does Christianity. So the difference between Judaism and Christianity can be summed up in one person, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is who gives us the power to do this work.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: In Titus, in chapter 3, verse 5, is where Paul said that this happens through the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit. That Jesus poured out His Spirit on us abundantly, that God did, through Jesus, our Savior, so that we could become heirs, so that we could enter this new eternal way of life. So when you make the Holy Spirit the one that it depends on, then it no longer depends on you. That's an important piece, would you say it? <laughs> Also, because we know that Judaism failed insofar as people being able to live up to the commandments that God handed down, right? Right. Hence, Jesus came. Mm -hmm. So, the Holy Spirit is absolutely indispensable and necessary for anyone who hopes to live and to step into this new way of life. You have to have the power of the Holy Spirit filling you, transforming you, from the inside out. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, this becomes an exercise in behavior modification. Mm. But Jesus didn't come to modify people's behaviors, but to change who they are. The goal is to change the way you think, the way you feel, the way you are, the way you be (laughs) in the world. The goal is not to get you to follow a set of rules. It's, It's to so change you on the inside that you just live in different ways.
1: Yes.
0: Your, your roots get good. And so then your tree is good. And so then your fruit is good. good. Right? And that's something that the Holy Spirit has to do from the inside out. So the Holy Spirit, that's number one.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And that's explicitly taught, right? Through the whole New Testament. Mm-hmm. Okay, but here's the problem I always had with the Holy Spirit when I was growing up in the Holiness movement. Is it was, and in fact, I noticed this. I went to Orlando and I noticed this language still happening. We'll talk about the Holy Spirit, and I'm like, yes! we're talking about the Holy Spirit. <laughs> but it's always like, I just get the impression that it's just supposed to happen, mm. right? Like, the Holy Spirit fills you, and then you just it just happens. Like you don't do anything, right? You don't do anything, you just you're open. You're open to the receiving the Spirit. You know, you, you like the idea of receiving the Spirit and you believe in Jesus, and so the Spirit should just zap you with holiness. <laughs> Anyone else think that way? I mean, that's as I thought about you know how does this work? That's what I believed happened. Like it just, all right, Holy Spirit, hit me,
1: <laughs> fix me,
0: and it took some influences in my life. Really, again, just in recent years, teaching me that there are practices. Of a Christian, there are disciplines. There are, I think John Wesley called it, means of grace. There are, are ways that we partner with the Holy Spirit, and we've lost sight of a lot of those. Oh, we sometimes still talk about you should pray and read your Bible, and you should go to church. We talk about those things some, as you should do them. But we don't really teach people anymore how to participate with the Holy Spirit. That it's not just auto spirit, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but that there's a role that you play in partnership with the Spirit. I mean, where in the Bible, I'm sure it's happened a couple of times, but it's not very often that God just says, sit back. Well, let me do it. Huh. More often, he's like, walk around the city for a few times. You're right. And then I'll right. knock the wall down. You're like, why are we walking around the city? I don't know. Huh. But it works. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> the Holy Spirit partners with people, God partners with people. We don't know why. Hmm. It's not like we've got much to offer here. But that's the way he works. And Jesus actually modeled this for us. And from what we gathered from the letters that we have from apostles, the apostles modeled it for their churches. They said, do the things you saw me do. Right? Do the things you saw me do. And the apostles did the things they saw Jesus do. And we know some of these. We know that before Jesus ever entered into ministry, he got off by himself for a long time and fasted and prayed. Yes to strengthen his spirit and prepare for the road ahead. We know that Jesus at some point spent a lot of time memorizing scripture. Yep. He had a lot memorized. We know that he thought, spent a lot of time thinking about scripture because he had all that worked out. He spent a lot of time in prayer. He spent a lot of time, as a, I mean think about it, as a guy who was on the road as an itinerant preacher traveling from place to place with crowds of people following him all the time, this guy would take all-nighters because that was the time he could get alone.
1: Mm-hmm. That
0: was the time he could find silence and solitude and get alone with God. He needed to create space so he could make sure that he was in the center of God's will. But we don't need to do those things, do we? Mm. Solitude and silence, desperately missing Mm. in our world. Our world is every bit as crowded, I suspect, as Jesus was.
1: Mm.
0: Because we have so much noise. You may not be famous like Jesus was, and you may not have crowds following you around, but you've got a phone that follows you around. It makes noise all the time. I've got kids that follow me around when I'm at home. (laughs) They make noise all the time. Solitude and silence are necessary if we're going to create the space in our lives to partner with the Holy Spirit. To even hear from the Holy Spirit. Right? There are disciplines of... Sometimes they're called disciplines of abstinence. They're, they're disciplines which help us to kill off the old way of life. Fasting's one of them. Mm-hmm. Who's in control, you or your stomach?
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> <good>. Fasting comes <laughs> into play
0: in a big way. There's other ones like that. Chastity there are things that we practice to kill off the lusts of the flesh there are disciplines that Christians have practiced for thousands of years we should practice them there are disciplines of engagement to grow in our godly desires right? to replace the old desires of the flesh with new desires of the spirit and so we study God's Word. We meditate on God's Word. We memorize God's Word. We pray. We gather and we worship together. And we replace those old desires with new ones. This is our responsibility. And sometimes we preach a gospel that doesn't give much responsibility. Right. And then we fret when people don't pick up responsibility.
1: Mm -hmm. but
0: we didn't sell them a gospel that needed responsibility Wow! I'm going to tell you one more thing because you can't skip it Mm -hmm. it's all over the New Testament and it's (laughs) essential according to the apostles to our holiness to our growth in Christ to our pursuit of this Jesus way I like to think of it like this if learning to live like Jesus is a sport, and we're all athletes playing this sport, then those disciplines we just talked about are kinda like practice. Right? Kind of like the stuff you do outside the game. Like you gotta run drills, right? You've got to eat right, you gotta, you know, get your act together, you gotta show up for practice, you gotta, you know, lift weights, you've got to discipline yourself to train yourself. But at some point, you've got to get in the game. And in in the New Testament, the game usually comes in the form of trials, suffering, both of the everyday kind and of the earth shattering kind. Count it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. Be thankful. In the midst of your trial. Why? Because your suffering refines you and your faith. Your suffering purifies your faith. It's the test. Just like a game is a test. You can practice and practice and practice but at some point you got to get in the game and find out how good you are. Good. Against the competition, right? Yes. And so you get in the game through these things we don't like much. We don't look forward to them. The tests that come, just I mean, when a teacher gives you a test, you don't like to see the red ink, but the red ink tells you where you still got work to do. And when we get in a trial, sometimes that shows up real fast where we've still got some work to do with the Holy Spirit in our lives. Not only that, not only does it show you where you still got work to do. But look, I mean, there's only so good you can get in practice. That's why these uh, young guys coming up in basketball now, they gotta play, you know, the AAU stuff year round. You can't just, like they play endless games, hundreds of games, thousands of games by the time they graduate, because there's something about playing games that makes you better at playing the game. I mean, yes, practice is necessary, but there's something about playing the game that teaches you to get better at playing the game. That's good.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: there's something about facing down trials that makes you stronger. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Makes your faith stronger mm-hmm. and purifies your faith. Why would we preach and teach anything else? Heaven and hell are not the subject. Mm-hmm. Wesleyanism and Calvinism are not the subject. Our church of God heritage is not the subject. Yes, right. And our measure of success are not altar calls or seats filled. Mm. Jesus is the subject. Mm. And how well we are learning his new way of life is to be the measure of our success. Yes, Amen? So good. Good. Amen. Amen. Learn to live like Jesus. Let's say it again. To learn, learn to live like, like Jesus. Jesus. And lead others to do likewise. Each other. Look, a year from now, maybe you're standing in front of your church and the seats are filled and that's fantastic. Maybe you're standing in front of your church and there's a whole sea of new faces and you're excited. And that's the standard that we often use and it's worth being excited about. Yeah. That would be fantastic. But do you know what would be even better? To look out and see new life. Amen. 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 New hearts, and new minds, yes. people who left godless ways behind and are embracing a whole new way of life wow. a countercultural way of life. Yeah. To see men and women unashamed of their faith, showing their sons and daughters and neighbors the courage that it takes to live a godly life in evil times. Parents working together to teach their children to pray instead of trusting the church to do it. Because their lives are being changed. Hmm. Here's what I want to ask today. If there's any preachers of the word, any teachers of the word, any leaders of the church who desire the Spirit's direction and power to better lead others to live like Jesus. I'm gonna ask them to come forward. And and Micah, dear team, if y'all wanna play some music for us, I, I wanna take a moment and pray for any, first thing, for any pastor, preacher, teacher, leader, who desires the Spirit's direction and power to better lead others to live like Jesus. If that's where you're at today, you're one of those people, And you would love the Spirit's help Mm -hmm. to help you lead more people to live like Jesus. But I'm going to ask you to come down here. I'm going to say a prayer for you today.